Hello and you are very welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host Sarah Travers and throughout the series I'm speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Today I'm joined by Orla Kelly, CEO of Briefed. Orla, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great, Sarah. Thank you. It's good to see you. Now, before we get into our conversation, I'm just going to give a little bit of background on Orla and her company. So Orla is a highly experienced barrister, an accomplished legal technologist and internationally renowned authority on data protection. It's that unique blend of legal expertise and entrepreneurial spirit which inspired her to found Briefed. Today, Orla leads the UK and Ireland's most respected team of regulatory specialists to deliver innovative training solutions for the legal, medical and business sectors, including compliance training, strategy reviews, audits and crisis management. Thanks to Orla's skill, individuals and organisations in a broad range of sectors have learned how to successfully navigate the minefield of regulatory compliance to avoid ICO investigations, crippling financial sanctions and devastating reputational damage. Brief works closely with professional regulators, bar councils and law societies to support legal professionals in meeting their legal obligations. The team has so far certified over 3,000 barristers, along with around 10,000 individuals from diverse professional backgrounds in the UK, Ireland and US. Orla, what a brilliant business. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So presumably it all started with studying law? Yes, that's right. I studied law um, at Queen's um, in 97 to 2000 and uh, became a barrister. I qualified. I went down the professional route. It's what I'd always wanted to do. I wanted to be a barrister, be in court and represent clients. And I was very lucky to be able to follow that path for a long time. So where did you grow up? Tell us a bit about well, yourself. Well, I grew up in South Armagh in a little place called Darinus. Most A lot of people haven't heard of it. It's near Katy. And um, I went to St. Catharines in Armagh. My mum was a teacher there. And so, yeah, we, uh, all of myself and my sisters were expected to study and do well at school. And and hopefully we did. And yes, yeah, so I went to Queen's in 97 to do law. That's all I wanted to do. And why was that? Why, what had, what inspired you to want to be a barrister? I would love to say it was something really exciting. I'd, I'd watched an episode of, of some American TV drama. I can't remember which one, but somebody got to be in court and it looked all very dramatic mm-hmm. and interesting and they solved the problem by the end of the episode. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll do that. Um, although I didn't really know that that typically here meant being a barrister uh, and being in court. <clears throat> so I just wanted to do law. And, and I, I remember I studied, I mean, I studied French for a level and, and accountancy. And so I could have done a mixed degree, um, which with hindsight would have probably been a nicer a nicer university experience, experience. <laughs> a year in France sure who needs that <laughs> I decided to do straight law mm-hmm. um which is a bit tougher and yeah so you know I had my law degree by the time I was 21 and wanted to go to the bar and so and what happened next well I took a bit of, I actually took a bit of time out and went to Australia did the backpacking thing oh good yeah. so you did have some fun yeah I did it oh I had a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> um did the backpacking thing and I came home um and did what's called the institute exam which is where you have to 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 try to get in to do your professional exams and I was lucky enough to do that and got called to the bar in 2003 
I think. Yeah. So how proud a moment was that for you, given that that's all you'd ever wanted? It was very exciting and it, it's it's not an easy path to get. There are very limited spaces to become a barrister in Northern Ireland at the time. Only 20 people per year could get that. So Why is that? Um, um, there are only 20 places offered <coughs> at Queen's for the, that professional degree of barrister at law. And... Um, you know, out of those 20 spaces, there's a lot of competition for that. So to some extent, it, it almost felt l- like an impossible task to even be in that top 20. And so that was great. Um, and then the next part, though, of course, was when you become a barrister, you're also self-employed, yeah. um, which is not something that you actually think about when you're 22 or 23. That you have to find the business. You have to start a business. Uh, yeah. And you've, you don't have any experience. It's not it's not really like if you're a hairdresser and then decide to set up your own hairdressing salon, you, you will have been a hairdresser for five years or 10 years. As a barrister, you start a business on, on the first day that you become a barrister. So that mm. that was something that was um, ultimately quite interesting to me and probably kept my interest alive because I enjoy business a lot. Um, however, it is, it's a, it's a side um, problem with being a barrister and that you have to run a business at the same time. So the entrepreneurial spirit perhaps started yeah, on day started one? started there. <laughs> started there. And yeah. how tough was it then setting up? What did you have to do? How did you attract business in the first place? Well, um, I guess a, a lot of people don't typically understand that as you start your business as a barrister, you um, and we're talking you know, t- 2003 at the time, you weren't allowed to have a business card that was... Um, prohibited in our professional rules oh. you weren't allowed to have a website if websites existed back then oh i didn't realize that. no not allowed to advertise in any way so the, the, the ways that were typically open to most people who start businesses to get business through the door weren't available um you weren't allowed to um you weren't allowed to market yourself to solicitors or any of the any of the typical routes so what did you do yeah <laughs> how did, did you do I um, ultimately, how I did it was I w- just made myself available for work all the time. So there's um in the bar library here in Belfast there that you could be in the bar library at eight o'clock, and if someone else had a case that they could they couldn't do for some reason, and had to pass it at the last minute, you know, you made yourself available to take that, or you possibly got you know smaller cases from more senior barristers who who would pass them to you, and so you kind of cut your teeth doing that but you, you had to have a lot of nerve <laughs> so can you remember that first time that you stood up in the courtroom uh yes i can i was so nervous um, i don't even know if i could remember my own name <laughs> it was terrifying but i guess exhilarating at the same time you know that's what i had worked for for a, for a long time and it was and when you nice did it when it. you you'd been up and, and sat back down again did you feel a buzz did you feel yes. like no this is what i yes i did do. and i enjoyed that and however it got more and more enjoyable as as the years went on when you when you became more comfortable of course and less nervous um certainly and so speaking in public is something I'm, i don't get nervous doing anymore well, that's a great thing, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. so much of life now is about how you communicate and how you spread the word or inform people or persuade people. And there's the art of persuasion is, is, <laughs> is, is very great. <laughs> yeah. um, and it is a performance, isn't it? Do you, did you feel totally like yourself? Or sometimes I think that people have to play a role. That's a good question. I think that you don somewhat of a persona in an effort to make sure that you get the client the result that it is that they need. And from a very early stage, I I specialised in family law and particularly in children's law. And so, um, for example, if I was representing a father who hadn't seen their children possibly in months, um, you, you knew that th- there was quite a, a responsibility, a mm-hmm. burden to make sure that, that you did every th- single thing that you could do to make sure that this, this father got 
to re-establish a relationship with his children, uh, really for the ch- for the children's benefit, um, in as much as as for your own client's benefit, and so understanding that how you phrase something or how long it takes you to get to the point might be the difference between that happening or not happening um, Gosh. was somewhat of a responsibility. So why family law and what kind of cases would you have been dealing so, with? Yeah, and so we're talking 20 years ago now. Can you believe that? Um, I, I enjoyed family law a lot because I felt that I got... I was able to help solve problems um, and I used the law to solve the problems, but probably would be fair to say law in, a, in and of itself wasn't my passion. It was helping people and solving a problem and being able to do that. And particularly in family law, I, I felt very precious that that had to be done as in a, as a conciliatory way as possible. So as an advocate of coming to an agreement that everybody could live with rather than going in and fighting in court. Mm. I, I didn't believe that that, that was beneficial for any family mm. to go through that. I think it's very hard to, to recover from that. And so my ethos was, you know, people will be able to come to some kind of agreement if we can talk about it. So um, that that I, I really enjoyed that. It, it, became a, it became difficult when you were involved in cases where children had been abused or having to be removed from their parents. And so it wasn't just... On, on, you know, quite often you represent families who were breaking up and they just couldn't between themselves figure out who, who saw what on any given day. But the other side of that was when you dealt with other cases where social services had become involved and were removing children. So those were complex and emotionally draining cases to be involved in as well. And did you find that you got very emotionally involved? You had to. Um, yeah, that's a question that I'm asked a lot. Um, I guess on to one to one extent as a barrister and, and being on the front line of the case, you, you don't typically meet the children. So that might allow for a little bit of a distance. And because you do these cases every day, you get a little bit numb to the detail of it. Having not now, because I, I stopped practising in 2015, having not now been involved in cases like that for seven years, I, I would feel that I probably... And I've had children since then. I was then. going to say, you've become <laughs> yeah. a mum since then. I've become then. a mum since then. I think I would find it much more difficult to do. In fact, I'm not even sure that I could do it now. Mm. Um, I, and I have a lot of respect for those barristers who continue to, to represent their clients so well. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries, from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 2200. So that's the background. Mm-hmm. Um, then you went on a mission to start this fabulous business. Briefed, tell us. Well, I didn't. I, I didn't go on a mission to start a business at all. I I just happened to be at court um, with a very at this stage twelve years into practice um, with a very busy practice. Thankfully, I've been able to build up that business, and without technology available to me to to support everything that I needed to do, and I was doing twelve or fourteen hour days, and I, I thought. You know, essentially, if you know, to manage my, it was a paper diary. It was an Excel spreadsheet to manage fees. It was um, nights spent writing letters, or you know, to solicitors to make sure they knew what was going on in the case. 
And so a lot of admin, and I looked and I could see that, for example, solicitors had the opportunity to have case management systems, but there weren't any for barristers. And so mm. um, that was the first iteration and the first product within Braved was a case, case and practice management system for barristers to help us run our businesses. Gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, I uh, people think that that was a wonderful idea, but I, I kind of think, it's, did I have some kind of mental break that I thought that that was a good idea Why? <laughs> to start? What? I mean, who, I didn't know anything about technology. I, I mean, when I thought somebody must be able to develop some IT guy. I mean, that's as much as I knew about IT professionals. But you knew that something needed to be done to streamline, to make the, the whole system more efficient well, so yeah. that the barrister could concentrate on actually doing the job rather than all of the bureaucracy and red tape and admin. Yes, I knew that I, I wanted a solution in there for my colleagues mm-hmm. and the bar would also benefit from a solution. So did you find an IT guy? I found an I, I found a company um, based in uh, Lisbon and worked with them and we developed a platform. So that was an interesting experience for me because as I started to understand lawyers speak one language and IT specialists speak a completely different language. <laughs> and somewhere along the line, I had to learn how to to translate those things and I guess it's a skill that as technology has become more prevalent yeah. and my business has expanded out into other areas that has that has been um, that learning that I had back early on in the, the setup of the business of speaking the, the uh, how an IT person understands and communicates and then you can translate that for a lot of different sectors, yes. a lot of different industries as well, not, yes. not just your yeah. own. Okay, so what happened next then? So I um, th- this product, the initial product that I developed um, became uh, started to become had early early sort of shoots of green shoots of success and so I decided to take the leap and give up my practice at the bar which Gosh. was um, a big uh, consideration having that's really what I had always wanted to do but and had you been spinning both plates for a while at yeah, this point because for about a that's year. the advice isn't it that yeah. you should do that yeah for about a year I was everything okay <laughs> so I, I recall um particularly in 2013 I, I had a busy family law practice I now had the technology product up and running and cu- customers with that. I was filming a, uh, a TV show for uh, BBC called Barristers. I was on that as well. Oh, right. And uh, most importantly, I was getting married. Oh <laughs> so I had all of those prep, all of that prep to do. So it was, it was very a very busy. busy year. Yeah. And it, it came to the point um, kind of mid-2014. I was like, you know, I can't, I can't continue to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I've, I've done bar- practice in Barrister for 12 years and I've really enjoyed it and I feel like I've conquered it in as much as I want to do. Um, and so I'll take a, a step out into the unknown. And so uh, I, my mum, for example, you know, a teacher, she was like, what? Why? Why would you be leaving the bar oh, no. <laughs> to go and do something in but technology? That, that generation, you know, it was a yeah. job for life. Job for life, yeah. Invested so much into it, and don't <laughs> be walking away. With inf- and instead of seeing it as like, yes, but all of that experience has brought me to where I need to be today. Yeah, but but I mean, and that's I mean the the, the pa- career pathways that people take now, starting out becoming specialist and moving on, mm-hmm. um, that's become more realistic. Yeah. But it's, this is still, you know seven or eight years ago when mm-hmm. even then it was it really was an unusual thing to to, to leave a successful practice at the bar that's not something that most people do no. un- unless they typically are moving into perhaps becoming a so judge. had the business started to make money at that point yes it had started to make money um but i what i was noticing was that i had uh, an opportunity to uh, actually an opportunity to work in london a lot with the bar in london um, I'd got close connections to their regulator and bar council and they had an appetite for change and an appetite for technology and I very much loved the opportunity to travel. That was key. I didn't, you know, as a barrister here, you don't have that opportunity. No. 
Um, so it was great to be. In I was London, in Newry actually. a lot. Funny, we're we're, <laughs> we're obviously uh, recording this podcast in Newry, and I just saw the courthouse there. And thought, oh, that took me back a bit. I used to be there all the time. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I got to travel lots and expand my skills and understanding, and really delve into, I guess, market research and make connections and understand what else people um, had a, as problems and what they would want to buy. But I think that was. Again, you realising that you need to have the support and you need to have the backing of these regulators, the bar councils, the law societies, Mm -hmm. because they're going to be recommending this to to other people. So was that in your head at that stage? Well, yes, they're very influential in terms of helping their members um, uh, identify problems and Mm -hmm. various solutions available. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I worked with the Bar Council of England and Wales at the time to promote... um, promote a, uh, my first online course that I had developed in data protection so this was still in around 2014 I had developed really off the back of having created a, a case management platform I had started to understand there's a, there's a huge amount of data protection law that barristers and other businesses have to think about so and so I started to teach that brilliant um I, I was straight you know I guess I mean thinking about my mum being a teacher I started to teach these as CPD classes um because I understood that that's not necessarily front of mind for a lot of people at that back back in 2014. And did you design the course as well? Yep, so I developed, developed the course and designed it and taught it live initially and then um, moved it into being an online product. And I partnered with the Bar Council of England and Wales in distributing that to um, their members in England and predominantly in London. And so that was the first taste of understanding that the original case management product didn't have to be the only product. We could create a portfolio mm-hmm. of solutions. And and in fact, the, the bar um, didn't have to be the only recipient of that, that, you know, data protection, um, it, I guess, applies to all businesses. And as I, I mean, that was 2014, but as we rattled up into 2018 and there was a big GDPR furore. Of course. Where businesses were getting ready for GDPR, then I was really well placed to help with that. Well, the fear was there, absolutely. Yes, and the, the, the legal requirements then. And, and that's the thing that it is, um, there were crippling financial sanctions if you got it wrong as well and you know that's really when people are thinking of their pockets and their bank accounts that's actually how you drum up business isn't it well I mean I in my experience having worked with really hundreds hundreds and hundreds of businesses now and I mean the first point is understanding which of these things that that can happen are the the thing that concerns you and actually I would have to say albeit that there are large potential financial sanctions of up to four percent of your turnover that isn't typically what most businesses are afraid of and and I think that they're correct those those financial large financial sanctions aren't often issued but what most are afraid of and rightly so is the damage to their reputation okay and so it you know it might take a couple of years before the information regulator the ICO makes a decision that that you are going to get a fine but immediately you have a data breach that will probably reach the news and so you will see immediately the impact that that has with your clients customers and your online reputation so data protection what else now are you providing we have um yes we have expanded dramatically um we we work a lot with equality diversity and inclusion so we work yeah. with businesses to help them move forward in terms of their their ethos and strategy around that um and we are now also working with a number of businesses to help them achieve b corp certification which is a, a certification around climate sustainability i was going to say that's the next big thing isn't it climate yeah. sustainability and you know 
I suppose that ESG compliance. Yes. Is that the correct? To be honest, um, the e- environmental social governance ESG largely covers everything that we do because the fact that a business has to protect your personal information or data is part of the fact that they should is of environmental social governance. Um, the fact that they should be making sure that there's equality and diversity within their business and on their board and everyone's treated well is environmental social governance. And so part of that right. is climate. It's all system. part of it. It's yes. all encompassing, yeah. It's helping businesses do better, be and better. it's no longer a nice thing to do, but a legal requirement as well. And as you say, the reputational damage. And people also want to work with companies and organisations mm-hmm. that show that they do look after people, place, planet, You're absolutely correct. What what you find is people and businesses who are interested in achieving uh, highly, when it particularly when it comes to anything to do with climate and sustainability, um, will find that they're putting themselves ahead of their competition because ultimately, um, people procurement um, people who are procuring services via be it public tenders or just private businesses want to see that the businesses that they work with are doing a good job for the planet. So how many people do you have working for you now? Because to have certified over 3,000 barristers along with around 10,000 individuals is incredible. I don't think you've been doing it all by yourself. No, I haven't been. I have had to build a team. I have a lovely uh, team who work very, very hard. Um, we we do uh, leverage technology a lot, I have to say. We, we don't sit talking to 3,000 barristers to make sure that they've gotten their certification. We've, we're innovative in terms of using products and, and technology platforms to help us do that. Um, and there's there's five of us on the team at the moment. So I had to take that leap from being a solo, self-employed entrepreneur and build a team and become an employer, which is a new skill, I yes. have to say. Right. Well, we'll yeah. come back to that in a minute. I want to just stay with the offering, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So is it most of it online now? Yes, most of it's online. And a platform with additional resources, etc. Yeah. So if I was to turn up and say, hi, um, I've got a, a company here, but I'm really interested in making sure that my diversity and inclusion strategy is okay I'd like to sign up my team of 10 what what would what would they do well what we would do is we would get one of our barristers on the team so we're a team of barristers you know as well uh, to talk to you about what it is that your strategy is so we might do a little bit of consultancy and then that will that will be supported by for example anti-racism training or for recruitment training or unconscious bias training if that's what you're required and benchmarking and auditing so those products are typically very much underpinned with technology and online. Um, so and the benchmarking and auditing is huge, I'm sure. Yes, because of course there's no point in having a strategy and then not understanding how you're going to get to wherever it is you want to be in three years. Or identifying where the problems are. Yeah. Even. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. it's You're definitely, we're on to something at the, <laughs> at the right time. Um, what would you say have been the biggest challenges for the business? Um, that's a good question. One of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest challenges has been I I would say probably the pandemic coming along um, in, uh, for most businesses of all types was uh, a really unforeseen challenge. We just opened an office in London about two months earlier. Most of our clients were in London and suddenly we couldn't travel. Um, our entire communication process with our clients was meeting them and delivering training in-house and that couldn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was, it was a, an extreme challenge. Um, and plus, I guess, as most people found, a downfall of work. Everybody stopped buying things because That's they it. didn't know what was happening. So that was a challenge. But, I mean, ultimately, I was very lucky in that I had essentially an online e-learning business and I could still work and people could still access our products and services. And so, in a strange way, I would have found, of course, then as well, that it, it changed how particularly the legal industry liked to um, get training 
it previously pre-pandemic most people would have preferred in-house so mm-hmm. I would have quite often have been in a chambers at fi- in London at 5pm delivering training and that has completely changed they're much happier to do online so overall that has been successful for yes. me and for my business. Good for business. But it was a challenge. Yeah, it was a panic. I definitely yeah. remember hearing the announcement we were going into lockdown and thinking it was, well, how, well the business model didn't work anymore. So you yeah, just literally had to, had change. to go, yeah, had to change. But, but for the better. Yeah. And um, to some extent, that's what gives you resilience and you understand the next challenge will come along and you'll find a way around it. Um, that's a good lesson, isn't I it? I have uh, I'm very, I, I have a couple of little um um, thought processes in my head that I feel have, have led through to success one of them is that um, I don't take no for an answer uh-huh. and so if that's not going to work I'm going to have to try something else and um, that's part of the challenge that I guess that I love <laughs> as Good an entrepreneur yeah. that's brilliant mm-hmm. um, I, I would be a terrible one I hear no one I think oh right okay go with it but you you don't take that no don't take no for an right. answer no I yeah, have to find another it. way to do something and does it work yeah <laughs> all right there you go there's lesson number one um Thank you for that, Orla. Do you have goals then for the business? Do I have goals for the business? Well, I mean, the, an overarching goal that I've always had is that that the business is always excellent. Anything that we do, anyone that represents my brand, um, any service or product that we provide is of high quality and that excellence is paramount. Um, you know, we're a... I say I would some uh, are probably a reassuringly expensive brand. Uh, we are not the cheapest product or consultancy on the market by any stretch. Um, however, we're very we, we give a lot of customer service and and help to our clients, and they can contact us at any time of the day or night, and we are available to help them. And so, um, that goal is essentially to to continue to maintain that uh, ethos of excellence. And you were saying there that anybody that works for you must have that same standard. Um, you talked there about the challenges of becoming an employer then. It totally changes, doesn't it, when you're not just making the money yourself. You're now in charge of other people and they have families, they have livelihoods. How do you get it right in terms of recruitment, retention, <laughs> looking after them? I don't know if someone could tell me, you know, the, you know, the silver bullet for all of that. It's certainly a learning curve. I think that at the, the biggest thing at the start was just taking that leap from moving to being self-employed to being an employer. And the responsibility, I f- the, the responsibility weighs quite heavily on me. And so... I mean, when, when I'm looking at sales figures and, and projections, etc., I'm thinking, right, can I pay this? The payroll, is everybody going to be okay? When it came to the pandemic, how do we manage this so that people um, well, can that pay their mortgages? wasn't it? That, it was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I have found works really well is, well, I mean, my team, particularly at the moment, are, are just simply very hardworking, passionate, invested people. And if, you know... I trust them implicitly. I, I trust them. I was going to say I trust them with my life, but I trust them with my business, which mm-hmm. is my life yeah. to an extent. Yes. And if they need flexibility, they can have that and they offer me the same flexibility. And so I think it's key to finding the right people. Um, and that's very tough. Very tough indeed. I think um, other employers uh, share your concerns there. Tell us about your Honesty Box initiative. So I, I set up an Honesty Box initiative and oh, I, I absolutely love this. Uh, I... I um I know Maeve Monaghan from she's the CEO of the Now Group and I know she's that been she's been on this podcast. She's been so. on this podcast and I find her inspirational and I really find the Now Group inspirational in what they do. Um, and so I was watching her speak one day and hearing about what all of our local businesses in in Northern Ireland do to to help um bring people um, with learning difficulties into the business and I I just thought it was so lovely and I know that that albeit that we are an essential service to a lot of businesses to help protect them. 
that we are typically too expensive for charities to afford and it just didn't sit that well with me because mm. charities and, and social enterprises in the third sector actually have quite often more stringent rules that they have to meet when it comes to data protection. However, they're dealing in a much more higher risk area, um, particularly if they work with people with um, medical information, for example, and if they use volunteers. So they they don't have that very strict governance. Quite often, that would be in a well-established business. So they they essentially are really quite open to to having a data breach and all of the consequences that flow from that in terms of their reputation. So if a charity um, is publicised as having a data breach of any sort, what you might find is that they lose donations, that they lose volunteers, that they can't apply for funding, that their entire business model, for want of a better word, can collapse um, because they haven't looked after this one thing. Mm-hmm. And yet, of course, when you speak to charities, clearly they want to spend their budget on things that can be seen to, to, to bring them forward in terms of their offering. And so I wondered, how how could I help that? How could I do something that would help them? And so I created an Honesty Box initiative, which is very simply, um, we want the, the key thing that any charity, any business really, but any charity needs to do is make sure everyone's properly trained um, to the right criteria that's set down by the legislation and the regulator. And most people don't know that, that there are appro- there's what's called appropriate training. Um, and it, it needs to be specific to the role that someone uh, has. It needs to have a pass mark, all of these type of things. And so what we say is, you come and tell us what you need, how many people need trained and what standard they need trained to, and we'll take care of it. And you can, we use this honesty box initiative and that they can pay whatever it is that they can afford. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So. And how's that going for you? It's going well. Yes, it's going well. So um, Now Group are our our launch partner on that. And we've we've trained the Now Group. They've benefited from um, almost £25,000 worth of additional training. Um, and they're feeling very good about it. You can see more about them. Me have talks to it on our website and on their website. Um, and we've just started work with Cancer Fund for Children, um, who are a wonderful charity, I'm sure, that, that most people will have heard of, who help families and children who've been diagnosed with cancer or who have someone in their in their family diagnosed. And um, th- they have a brilliant, uh, brilliant facility at Daisy Lodge down in Newcastle where they offer respite to these families. So mm-hmm. w- I have to say on our team, we get a huge amount of personal satisfaction to be able to... The work that we do is yeah. benefiting um, people in in an indirect way, but um, it's it's lovely. And so it's open. I mean, it's open to charities from uh, across the UK and Ireland. Anyone can get in touch with us, and we will help them through the process. And do you have to be a certain size? Nope. There are no restrictions. There's no lengthy application process. All all they need to be is a registered charity, and to give us a little bit of detail about what they need and what they can afford, and we can have it set up for them very quickly. So yeah, we, we've had a lot of applications, and we're happy. Uh, we'll be announcing some more of our partners on that that we've been able to support quite soon. And I suppose I have to ask, you know, did you feel that you got a good enough? Um, w- did they pay enough? To, yeah, yes. To cover yes. <laughs> yes. So that's good, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so if there are other charities listening to this, I'm sure you would be encouraging them to get in touch. Absolutely, get in touch in case we can help you. Um, just go to our website, getbrief.com, and there's a lot more information there. But please just get in touch, lift the phone. <laughs> I'm beginning to find that we're a little bit more traditional in the world. Just, just just talk to us. Phone. We actually like to talk to people. We don't just have to do a Zoom call all the time no. either. But um, what's next for you, do you think? That's a good question. There's some exciting things coming down the pathway. Um 
for next year. Uh, maybe I'll Ooh. come back and talk to you about that oh. again. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, I guess for me, the, 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 the year that's gone past, what's been exciting is expanding our product line and portfolio of offerings into new areas. I mean, I'm, I'm I guess, to some extent, the creative in the business, the idea person. And I have a great team who helped me execute the vision and, and that. But I love getting the new ideas and wondering if it would work. And some of them don't, you know. I've come to terms with that 10 years into this business. Um, it's my second business, I guess, 10 years into it. Some works and, and some don't. But we, we had an opportunity and one of our clients asked us to, to develop what's called pupillage supervisor training, which is a very specific type of training for the bar. Um, so the baby barristers get trained um, by other more senior barristers. And uh, they asked us to develop that. And we did. And within six weeks, 40 or 50 sets of chambers had signed up to get all of their Goodness. barristers trained. So it's a small, when, you know, if you were to ask me what does success look like um, for me personally, that creating something that people like and use and want. And need and want. Need. So and are actually happy you're to listening um, yeah. as well and say, T- tell me what you need. Yeah. If what would good look like to mm-hmm. you, if you could make, wave a magic wand. Um, so sometimes organisations don't know what they need and, and you can cover that. But mm-hmm. also if you just listen as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's where you get the, the magic ideas happens. from. The magic happens. Do you I get any time away from the office then, Orla? Uh, not really. I mean, it's in my pocket 24-7. But I do have two very young children and uh, I have a lot of fun with them. I was at Disney on Ice yesterday. So um, it's great fun with them. There's, you know, We just have to fully focus on them and whatever it is that they need at any given time. And do you like being your own boss? I've never been employed. So I've never had a, I don't know, I've never had a boss as such. Um, and my dad tells me I'd probably be unemployable now at this <laughs> stage. Um, yeah. Having been self-employed for 20 years. But yes, it has it has benefits of being flexible and, you know, I don't have to ask anybody if I can have some time off. On the other hand, I'm, I'm heading to Australia for a couple of weeks and I'll probably have to take my laptop with me on holiday to do some things. So yeah. it's it's mixed. You never switch off completely, no, do you? you but you wouldn't be able off. to relax on holiday either if no. you probably didn't have it with you. This <laughs> well, is, I'll try. This is the thing. Well, I'm sure you will. And I hope you have a fabulous time. Um, yeah, so we've we've covered so much in this and it just shows you when you've got an idea and you know that there's a need there and you're passionate about it. It, it what's the best bit of advice that someone gave you that you listen to? Ooh, that's a good one. What's the best piece of advice that somebody gave me? I, I what stands out to me strangely is advice that people gave me that I ignored. Yeah, <laughs> I had. I mean, I remember. You can hear a lot, can't you, when you're setting up a business? Yeah, uh, I, I, a lot of people. You know, one person in particular, don't do it. Don't spend your money on developing a platform. Don't leave the bar. Um, it'll never work. And I, I just ignored all of it. <laughs> do you know what? I hear that time and time again from people who are just sitting across uh, from me and, and they choose not to listen. Mm-hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Um, the purpose of this podcast is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of businesses such as Briefed. What then advice would you give to people who may have a business idea but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking? Okay, what advice would I give? Well, I think I think for the most part, um, most business ideas, you should try to move it forward in some way, but do it in a manner that's as risk-free as possible. So don't give up your day job immediately because you have a good idea. Um try to establish whether uh, there's a, a need for it in the market. So there's a great book by Eric Rees called, um, it's a 
uh, the Lean Startup that I would mm. highly recommend for people who want to understand if they can particularly start a business. And he's an advocate of essentially creating a pro- the creating a um, not creating not investing and creating the product. Created the product as if it exists and test if anyone will buy it. Um, and so you really minimise your time investment and your financial investment, but you're testing whether anyone will buy the product because ultimately you can only have a successful business if people are going to buy whatever it is you're going to sell. So read that book. I think that's a really helpful one. Eric Lease, The Lean Startup. I've just scribbled that down. That'll be another one to add to the list. Uh, <laughs> Orla, thank you so much for joining us today on the Public Eye podcast. Um, you've actually given us great insight into the way that the world is right now and the reassurance that you can provide to to organisations, to individuals and indeed to charities who need um, to make sure that they're looking after their compliance in all aspects. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Continued success. Thank you. And thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you'll join me again for another fantastic episode of the Public Eye podcast. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.